Uh, he claims to be the property of an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Is he a relative of yours? Do you know who he's talking about? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. I think my uncle knows him. He said he was dead. Oh, he's not dead. Not yet. We you know him. Well, of course I know him. He's me. I haven't gone by the name of Obi-Wan since all before you were born. Welcome back to another episode of the Fez Talks Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Fez. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the legendary Jedi Knight and Jedi Master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So without any further ado, let's get into it. You were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. Throughout my life, there's many fandoms that I've subscribed to, and uh, top of which being Star Trek. Obviously, if you haven't watched or listened to the podcast, but there are tons of characters in all these franchises that I identify at least partly with. But there's no character that I feel like I embody more than Star Wars' Obi-Wan Kenobi. I say that knowing that Obi-Wan is a very humble, at times sarcastic, honest person who tries to do the right thing and tries to lead a Jedi's life. All this is to say that this is the character that I feel like I embody most. And those of you who know me, those are qualities that you would subscribe to. And also, in certain instances, for those who I've had the opportunity to mentor, whether as a brother, a friend, a family member, or even just as a counselor or a coach, that... I'm that person that will sit and listen and be be stern yet tell you the truth in a way where you can digest it. Like Obi-Wan, I have my sarcastic streak and that is why some of the many YouTube videos out there suggest that he is the king of trolling in Star Wars. And it's hard not to disagree with that, with his sarcastic comments that he just just cuts you right down to the bone, which you know, if you know me, I do quite frequently. Sometimes just under the radar, as my friend Steve would attest to, and he loves it, that it just goes, flies right underneath the radar. But getting back to Obi-Wan, not everybody is perfect, and not even... Obi-Wan is perfect. In fact, um, to give a little backstory, Obi-Wan wasn't originally going to be chosen to be an apprentice to anyone because of his brash, willful nature that he had. Much like his future apprentices, Anakin and Luke Skywalker, respectively. But Qui-Gon Jinn saw the adaptability of Obi-Wan in a sparring session, but like the other masters, um, 
decided that he was too dangerous to apprentice until Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon had to rely on each other on the mining planet of Bandamir and Qui-Gon saw the potential in Obi-Wan. So that began the most dynamic Master and Apprentice um, saga throughout Star Wars until we get Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. But that's a story for another day. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Don't say that, Master. You're the closest thing I have to a father. Then why don't you listen to me? I am trying. It's sometimes really easy to forget that two men have portrayed Obi-Wan Kenobi in live action and another two have voice performed Obi-Wan in the animated features, The Clone Wars and Rebels, respectively. Um, shockingly enough, I don't see them as different. And maybe that's a controversial opinion, I don't know. Alec Guinness originated the character in Star Wars in 1977, which has now been renamed A New Hope, Episode 4. But you could tell, and even without the prequels, watching it as a kid, you could tell that Obi-Wan had been through a great tragedy, and that he was suffering P from PTSD, something that I recognize now as somebody who has it. And uh, just the presence, even in the 20 or so minutes that we get him in the original trilogy, just made an indelible impression on me. And to be fair, yeah, even in those 20 minutes, Obi-Wan was my favorite character. I loved Luke, and I loved Vader, don't get me wrong. Even Han and Leia, Chewie. But there was just something about Obi-Wan that just spoke to me. So much so that when the prequels came out, Obi-Wan was by far the best character in the prequels. And... Mind you, that's not saying a lot with the writing that the actors were given. Because there, there's a lot of clunky scenes in the prequels, which I have problems with. But, you know what? The portrayal of Obi-Wan in Ewan McGregor, the perfect person, I personally believe, was cast as Obi-Wan. To give us the young Obi-Wan that grows into the Obi-Wan that we know and love by the end of episode 3. And a lot of my favorite Obi-Wan moments obviously comes from the prequels. Um, a lot of it being his sarcastic nature towards Anakin. And even the brotherhood and brothership that is kind of hinted at, but we don't really get. And that's one of the big gripes I have with the prequels is that they're telling us that these guys have a, a friendship. It's one thing to tell us about it, but it's another to show us. And eventually in episode three, we get more of the showing aspect of their relationship. And I appreciate that, but I always thought that it was a little 
too late for that. I have my own things that I would have done with the prequels, but maybe we'll put that in another podcast someday. Oh, it's you. This is how you thank me for rescuing you? Pounce on me from the ceiling? Kinda difficult without a lightsaber. Thanks. Did you manage to locate Dooku before landing in jail? Well, I know he's on board. I might have been able to do something about it if I'd had my weapon. It was important for you to arrive without it, so your capture would be convincing. Oh, they were convinced, all right. But how come I'm the one getting caught all the time? It doesn't look good. When you're a Jedi Master, you can make the plan. That's just it. How can I become a Jedi Master if I'm always getting caught? At least you're a Master at getting caught. Very funny. Obi-Wan is played by James Arnold Taylor in the Clone Wars television series, all seven seasons. And he channels Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan with such gusto, I, I believe. And Clone Wars is a really good way to segue into why I believe TV is a better medium for a expansive storytelling. Especially if you want to focus on character arcs or a specific story arc. Star Trek, which I believe is has has its good movies and it has its bad movies, but to me Star Trek has always excelled in its storytelling in the TV series. And there are good TV series and bad TV series, but on the whole, Star Trek is a good medium for tell it's it its medium is television. Star Wars for the longest time I always thought was great as a film franchise, but that's because I didn't see the potential in good character development as a child. And after watching the Clone Wars, which went from August 15th, 2008 to March 7th, 2014, and then completed its seventh season just recently on May 4th, 2020 on Disney+. The Clone Wars TV series gave us more Anakin and Obi-Wan, more interaction between Obi-Wan and other characters, which includes Obi-Wan basically handing Anakin an apprentice in Ahsoka Tano in the Clone Wars movie, which wasn't all that good, but it showed promise for what was to come in the Clone Wars TV series, which bridged the gap between Episode 2 and Episode 3. But the storyline I want to talk about here for Obi-Wan is actually one where it actually goes back to his apprenticeship with Qui-Gon Jinn, and he and Qui-Gon were tasked to protect the Duchess of Mandalore, Satine. So for over a year, they were keeping her safe and in hiding. While during this mission, Obi-Wan falls in love with Satine, and had she asked him, he would have left the Jedi Order. He was that in love with her, which I think 
is a, is a thread that if we had known during Revenge of the Sith that it would have been a thread that uh, would have informed how we thought Obi-Wan handled the whole Anakin and Padme situation because, you know, in the episodes where Anakin kind of susses out that uh, Satine and Obi-Wan had a complicated history and Obi-Wan kind of tells him and kind of doesn't tell him what went on between the two. Um, that Obi-Wan feels for Anakin. He feels the strong bond between his oath as a Jedi and the love he felt for Satine. In fact, by the end of the Clone Wars, Darth Maul, who miraculously didn't die from being cut in half, spoiler alert, from The Phantom Menace, but Darth Maul abducts Satine to get revenge on Obi-Wan and kills Satine right in front of him in order for what Maul believes to break Obi-Wan Kenobi and turn him to the dark side by killing his love. Your noble flaw is a weakness shared by you and your Duchess. You should have chosen the dark side, Master what? Jedi. Your emotions betray you. Your fear and yes, your anger. Let your anger deepen your hatred. Don't listen to him, Obi. Quiet. You can kill me, but you will never destroy me. It takes strength to resist the dark side. Only the weak embrace it. It is more powerful than you know. And those who oppose it are more powerful than you'll ever be. I know where you're from. I've been to your village. I know the decision to join the dark side wasn't yours. The Night Sisters made it for Silence! You think you know me? It was I who languished for years, thinking of nothing but you. Nothing but this moment. And now, the perfect tool for my vengeance is in front of us. I never planned on killing you, but I will make you share my pain, Kenobi. Like Maul says, this is probably Obi-Wan's failing, which inevitably, I think, complicates his relationship with Anakin and, you know, informs us why Obi-Wan didn't discipline him as stringently as the rest of the council might have because 
Obi-Wan knows what Anakin is going through, and he feels the same pulls that Anakin does, which is why I think Obi-Wan was a great friend to Anakin, but he wasn't the perfect master for Anakin. Anakin needed someone like Qui-Gon Jinn who was a maverick, a real maverick in the sense that he went against the Jedi edicts all the time. Obi-Wan only very rarely did that from what we know in the canon resources that we have. Also, I think it's very important to point out that, you know, when Anakin does turn to the dark side, um, the reason why Obi-Wan, who was not as strong or didn't have as strong an affinity to the Force as Anakin did or a natural affinity to the Force that Anakin did, the reason why Obi-Wan was able to win against Anakin is because, first of all, Obi-Wan wasn't one of those egocentric duelists. His lightsaber form, Sarisu, is the perfect form for Obi-Wan because it is a defensive posture. It's using defense as an offense. I also have to bring up the fact that Obi-Wan is the one who taught Anakin a lot, if not most, of what Anakin knows, or Vader knows, of lightsaber combat. And um, they would spar all the time, and they knew each other so well that I think that even without using the Force and having that, you know, Force premonition thing happening, that they know each other so well that they could anticipate moves it's like playing somebody in basketball and knowing that their dominant hand is their right hand. So they want to take you to the right so they can use their right hand to score off the glass. But anyway, Obi-Wan also uses the elements or the environment to his advantage as well. Also to the detriment of Anakin. Also knowing that Anakin is very prideful. So when we get to the end. When they're on the lava flow. And Obi-Wan gets away. And says it's over Anakin. I have the high ground. That's Obi-Wan baiting Anakin. Knowing that Anakin thinks he's so much more powerful. Than Obi-Wan. And that he can't be beaten. And that's why. When Anakin decides. To try to get Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is already ready for him. He's beaten him because he outlasted him and he outsmarted him in a sense. I'd like to also point out that just as much as Anakin slash Darth Vader is a tragic character in Star Wars, the other tragic character in Star Wars is Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan was supposed to train the Chosen One, which was Anakin, according to all the prophecies, or the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. And I'm going to diverge a little bit. I honestly think that he still is the Chosen One. It just took another catalyst to bring out the Chosen One in him, a la Luke in Return of the Jedi. 
And um, the reason why I think of Obi-Wan as a tragic character is because he ultimately, for better or for worse, failed. And he takes that with him after he, in a sense, defeats Anakin on Mustafar. He takes it with him to Tatooine where he's looking after Luke before the events of A New Hope. And we're also given to understand that during the Obi-Wan series that they're filming right now as we record this podcast, that Obi-Wan is going to have to save either Luke or Leia during his exile on Tatooine against the the Night Sisters and the Night Brothers, but also in his exile on Tatooine. Now, this is like from non-canon sources, like comic books and some of the books that are now legends. Obi Wan has his training from Yoda to commune with Qui Gon Jinn through the Force. That's all well and good, but I also think that Obi-Wan is also writing a journal. A journal that there is reference to in uh, Return of the Jedi in one of the deleted scenes. That's how Luke builds his green lightsaber. Um, also, I get the feeling that... Now, again, this is also from um, non-canon sources... Also, this happens to be a fan film of a very, very good impressionist. Um, I think his name is Jamie Costa, and he does a very good Ewan McGregor, James Arnold Tandler, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on Tatooine in a fan film who gets uh, the moisture evaporators and brings them back to Owen Lars from... I can't remember if it's the Tuscan Raiders or the uh, Stormtroopers. But I get the feeling that Obi-Wan is having PTSD flashbacks to um, that fight on Mustafar. Those days, those ending days of the Clone Wars. And thinking about all the things that he could have done differently with Anakin. And that's something, honestly, that I hope. That in the Obi-Wan series that we get. And that's selfishly because. I also think that. Reflection is something that. Star Wars I feel like needs to do. And what better character than. Obi-Wan. Who is a part of the original trilogy. And a part of the prequel trilogy. To combine them together in the time period that we're talking about it's one of the few characters that overlaps in the two time periods the others being c-3po who had his mind erased by captain antilles who happens to be wedge's father and at the end of revenge of the sith r2d2 who i feel like is the chronicler of the whole entire star wars saga uh darth vader slash anakin skywalker who is taking on a new persona as the Dark Lord of the Sith, Palpatine, and then Obi-Wan, really, in the grand scheme of things. Oh. 
and the Chosen One. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them. Bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness. By the end of The Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith, I feel like Obi-Wan is a broken man. He lost the love of his life, the extinction essentially of the Jedi, and he trained the person who caused the extinction of the Jedi. And not only that, it was his closest friend, someone he absolutely loved and cared for as if they were brothers and brothers is definitely the apt term here because Obi-Wan was never the father figure even though in an earlier clip I had Anakin say from Attack of the Clones that Obi-Wan was the closest thing that he had to a father um that person for both of them actually was Qui-Gon Jinn quite honestly because the person who really believed in Anakin was Qui-Gon um I feel like also Obi-Wan looked at Luke as he takes him to Tatooine to watch over him and gives him to Owen and Baru Lars as a sort of redemptive arc for himself. Um, I say that knowing that in the one episode of Rebels, I think it's in like season three, it's called Twin Sons, we get a really short ending to the saga of Darth Maul. And it's old Ben Kenobi, because this is about a year, maybe two years before A New Hope and... Darth Maul and Obi-Wan battle one last time, and it's very, very quick. It's maybe under 15 seconds of a battle. Um, and it's more posturing than anything else. <sighs> Look what has become of you. A rat in the desert. Look what I have risen above. I have come to kill you, but perhaps it's worse to leave you here, festering in your squalor. If you define yourself by your power to take life, the desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. And what do you have? You are protecting something. No, protecting 
Is it the Chosen One? He is. He will avenge us. By the ending of this saga, and right before A New Hope, Obi-Wan has found himself again. Hopefully, in the Kenobi series, we begin to see that... Um, that spark, that light that Obi-Wan had during the prequels and the Clone Wars comes back again. And that's something that I really hope that that does happen in the show, or at least is touched upon in the show. Because it's this spark that, you know, I think lends itself towards the original trilogy where we get the eye from Obi-Wan, and even in the scene where Obi-Wan and uh, Luke are inside the hut on Tatooine, that, you know, a lot, a lot of people, including myself, have intercut the prequel into that scene, giving Obi-Wan the mem remembrances of what happened before with Anakin. And like I said before, Obi-Wan has, I feel like, kind of sort of learned from his mistakes and feels like Luke is a redemptive arc for himself and for Anakin. But he won't go so far to say is that even in Return of the Jedi, when we get there, that there's hope for Anakin to, to come back to the light side. He's more, he and Yoda are more leaning towards the fact that Luke is the Chosen One. And I know that's a big plot of contention whether or not Anakin or Luke is the Chosen One or if they were the Chosen One, why did Rey overthrow Palpatine at the end of Rise of Skywalker? Spoiler alert for that, if you didn't know that already. And did Anakin's sacrifice actually mean anything in Return of the Jedi? But I'll take it from this perspective. Sometimes people need a catalyst or need a catalytic event to change or to push themselves into something that they would normally not do had they not had the push. And I feel like Luke is the catalyzing agent for Vader slash Anakin to do what he was in quotes destined to do. 
I say that because in a ton of the comic books, which again, non-canon source, although I'm not sure if these ones are canon or not, Vader finds out that, you know, Luke is his son earlier than Empire Strikes Back. It's kind of in that in-between of A New Hope and Empire. And he's very upset with the Emperor. And from the point that he learns from Boba Fett that Luke is his son, he begins plotting the overthrow of the the Emperor. Because, as we all know, Empire Strikes Back, Vader goes that he would like uh, Luke to join him so they can overthrow the Emperor and bring orders to the galaxy as father and son. Kind of like, kind of reminiscent of Anakin saying to Padme, we can overthrow the, the, the Chancellor and make things the way they want them to be at the end of Revenge of the Sith. The reason why I don't think Luke is the Chosen One is because Luke doesn't get rid of the Emperor. Anakin does. Like I said, Luke is the catalyzing agent for Anakin to throw him, throw the Emperor into the shaft. Also, Luke is the only one who really at least vocalizes the fact other than Padme before Padme passes away that there's still good in Anakin slash Vader. So, Luke is the catalyzing agent for Vader to return to the light side. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Guys, I want to thank you again for hopping back onto the podcast for this episode on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Very soon, I'm going to get a panel together to talk about either Knights of the Old Republic or the upcoming Obi-Wan series and the Book of Boba Fett. Until then, ladies and gents, make sure you check out my friends. First, Roy from Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner. Every Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and every other Sunday, 7 Eastern Standard Time on Facebook Live. Also, remember to check out Sci-Fi Distilled with Mike Rizzo and Mary Beth Murkowski as they travel on through all the sci-fi of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Check them out on Facebook Live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesdays. And if you miss the show live, you can always rewind it back on the Facebook Watch or go check it out on Anchor. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Remember, also, you can get it basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, also the Anchor Podcast app. If you want to get a hold of us, we do like when you do write comments and rate the podcast. So, you can either send us an email the old-fashioned way, Talks at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at Talks podcast or on Instagram and Twitter 
at Fez Talks. Until the next time, my fellow podcast listeners, the false will be with you. Always. I've been waiting for you all the while. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Your powers are weak, old man. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You should not have come back.